0: So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch.
1: $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com.
2: The information depicted in this podcast is purely for informational purposes only. Please consult your healthcare professional before making any changes to your lifestyle or routine. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Boost Your Biology podcast. I'm your host, Lucas, and today I have a very special guest joining me on the show. He's a medical doctor, researcher, and author with a profound interest in health, aging, and the future of medicine and biotechnology. Dr. Chris Verber, welcome to the show, man.
1: My pleasure. Thank you.
2: Awesome. So maybe... Chris, did you want to let my listeners know a little bit about your journey and and let them know like how did you become so fascinated into um, health optimization?
1: Yeah, so my um, fascination by health and longevity and how to slow down aging started uh, already from a very young age. When I was like five, six, seven years, I asked myself the big questions like, uh, why do we have to die? Uh, And uh, is there an edge uh, of the universe? And where does everything come from? And where are we going to Uh, as an organism, but also civilization and so on. So I've I've written my first book, actually, about the big questions. I was 16 years old when I uh, wrote my first book, a science book, about uh, the origin of the universe and cosmology, Big Bang. Uh, evolution and uh, yeah neuroscience. So I've uh, always had a big interest in the big questions. And one of the biggest questions we can ask ourselves is why do we have to die? And why is our lifespan only 80 years? Uh, why is it not like 240 years like some whales or 400 years like some sharks? And uh, yeah, so why not even, yeah, there are some organisms in nature that don't even seem to age. And eh? so, why do we have to age and why does aging actually exist? And that's a very difficult question, actually. Biologists have been thinking about why aging exists for hundreds of years, actually. And then, uh, about 150 years ago, we came in some interesting answers to that uh, question. But anyway, to make a long story short, always been fascinated by interesting questions and aging and data are like very interesting. Biological and philosophical questions. And also, during uh, med school, uh, I quickly realized that the best way to keep people healthy for the longest time possible is by going out the root cause of most diseases, people are afflicted, which is aging. Aging is the root cause of heart disease, Alzheimer's disease, cancer. So aging drives all those diseases. So I quickly realized that the best way to keep people healthy for the longest time is by addressing aging itself instead of focusing on just an individual aging-related disease. So instead of just focusing on Alzheimer or just heart disease, try to address the root cause of all these diseases, which is aging. So these are... Uh, some reasons why I got into the
2: field already since a very young age. Amazing, amazing. And so you, you mentioned that you wrote your first science book at the age of 16 and by the age of, do you say 28, you'd written four science books as well?
1: Yes, that's uh, that's true. Yeah, that's correct. So I um, indeed wrote my first science book when I was quite young. And then now I've written four books. The two, um, my last two books were more about health and aging. Um, and the first two books were more about uh, science, uh, so like um, yeah, about the Big Bang and evolution and neuroscience, trying to use scientific insights to answer big questions, uh, like what's its morality, why does good and bad exist, what uh, what has neuroscience to say about that, and then we see actually that even moral let's say behavior or sentiments can all, already be found in mice and so on and uh, it's very fascinating, and also religion, so one of My thesis when I was a medical doctor was about the neurobiology of religion. So why are we so religious as a species? And also it was a bit about spirituality. And actually uh, my promoter, he was a neurosurgeon who actually could evoke out-of-body experiences when he switched on a specific, uh, let's say, device that was implanted for people in the brain to treat epilepsy. And when the device was switched on to actually suppress epileptic attacks, the patient had an out-of-body experience. And we know that there are specific areas in the brain, if you trigger them, you can evoke spiritual, let's say, feelings or sensations or experiences. So, yeah, so my books are a bit about science and philosophy and, of course, aging and how we can stay healthy for as long as possible.
2: It's amazing. It's amazing. As far as topics go, I'd really like to focus in on the longevity side of things. And specifically, I know you've done a lot of research into this specific space. Before we get into understanding the different like hallmarks of aging, I'd actually love to ask you about when we look at some of these research papers in different animal organisms. Do you want to explain to my listeners like What can we gain from some of the animal model research and how much of it can we actually translate to humans?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. So we see there are all kinds of different animal models that are used to see whether specific interventions can slow down aging and other organisms besides animals. So classically, C. elegans is a little worm that uh, only lives for about three weeks, which is excellent to do aging research. You don't have to wait like 50 years until your subjects have died of aging. So C. elegans is widely used. But it's not an ideal model, of course, compared to humans. We are not little worms. So you have yeast also used. But then if you go up, you have killifish, which is a bit more an interesting model or a little bit more related to us. And then you have, of course, uh, mice and rodents. And then finally primates. And then, of course, uh, ideally the gold standard is doing aging studies in humans. But that's actually very difficult because we don't have yet good biomarkers of aging. So if I want to really measure how old you really are, your biological age, and not just your chronological age, because for that I can just look at your passport or ID card, but if I just want to know how old you really are, that's quite difficult. There are currently all kinds of, let's say, approximations like epigenetic clocks, uh, and ribosomal clocks, and transcriptomic clocks, and so on, that try to look at your biological age, but still they, they are very interesting, but not uh, yet, let's say, super, super accurate, That's just a matter of time, likely. But yeah, so given humans are a very long species, we live for about 80 years or so, maximum lifespan is under 20 years. So to do a gold standard kind of experiments where you do an intervention and you wait until everyone dies, that would take decades and would cost dozens of millions of dollars. So we need to, yeah, approach Therapies or interventions to slow down aging from different angles, like using uh so-called biomarkers of aging, like epigenetic clocks, or we can look at specific blood biomarkers, or we can use animal models, as you mentioned, mice and primates being the most interesting ones. Awesome.
2: Yeah. As far as some of the biomarkers for aging, one that I'm like I've had a little bit of like experience with is like the DNA methylation. So do you want us to maybe touch on that as a particular biomarker?
1: Yeah, these are the epigenetic clocks. And actually, we see that this regulation of the epigenome is probably an important reason why we age. We'll probably come to that later in, the, in this conversation. But so we have seen that if you want to assess someone's biological age, you can look at the methylation pattern on the DNA. So our DNA is covered by little molecules, methyl groups, as they are called. And these methyl groups, they cover our DNA. And the more the DNA is covered, by methyl groups, the more that's part of the DNA silenced, It's actually very simple. I just put a lot of methyl groups on the DNA and the DNA cannot be translated into RNA and then uh, into protein. So... We actually see that during aging, this methylation pattern changes. So some genes that should be silent are actually activated because there is not enough methylation happening there. So these are, for example, oncogenes. So that's one of the reasons why when we get older, we have more risk of cancer because specific oncogenes, so tumor-promoting genes, become less methylated. And uh, that makes them more active, and, and that increases the risk of cancer. We also see the opposite. So specific housekeeping or maintenance genes become too methylated or too silenced, and that uh, leads to the cells being less able to maintain themselves and so on. So the epigenome is actually super interesting. And perhaps you know, or, or your listeners know, but uh, or perhaps they don't, but like all our cells in our body, they have the same DNA. But of course, you have brain cells, you have liver cells, you have skin cells, despite having the same DNA. And that's because of the epigenome. So by switching off liver genes in skin cells, the skin cells are skin cells, and not liver genes or uh, liver cells or heart cells and so on, because in a skin cell, all the liver genes, heart genes... Neurological genes are switched off and so on. And we actually see some cells live only for a few weeks, like skin cells or the cells in our gut, while other cells live up to 80 years, like specific neurons. So despite all these cells having the same DNA, some cells only live three weeks, other ones live 80 years. So there you already see one reason why I think, and a lot of other researchers think, that epigenome is very important in a, a determining lifespan. And we see this all also in nature, like a queen bees. They have the same DNA as the worker bees. Worker bees only live for a few weeks, while a queen bees can live up to four, five years or even longer. Right. And that's all done through the epigenome. Actually, the, the queen bee gets fed by royal jelly, yeah. which transforms a worker bee into a queen bee epigenetically through food, actually. And that uh, extends lifespan, uh, yeah, many, many times. uh, So four or five years compared to only a few weeks, and despite the same DNA. So just to make a very long story short, we are not just our genome. uh, We are our epigenome and our transcriptome and our microbiome and so on.
2: Super fascinating. And I'm so glad you brought up the royal jelly because I literally just did a a YouTube video talking about the benefits of uh, royal jelly. So that's really cool. As far as, um, like, I'd love to get into, like, the nutrition and how specifically you know, the diet can affect patterns of aging and things like that. A lot of people talk about the mTOR versus mK, you know, pathway. Did you want to maybe expand upon, like, what's your stance there? Like, how does nutrition affect aging?
1: That was a great question. Actually, I created a new field around that, a new scientific field. I uh, published a paper a few years ago to introduce the concept of uh, nutrient biogerontology. So it uses knowledge of the aging process, to assess food and nutrition and to see what's the best diet for longevity. Because there's a lot of contradictory or conflicting nutritional advice circulating everywhere, especially on the internet. You see that paleo diet, keto diet, uh, calorie restriction diet, there are hundreds of diets and it's difficult to see the forest for the trees. So anyway, so I think approaching diet and nutrition from aging can really help us to much better assess what's the best food or what are the best diets for longevity. So to come to your question, definitely food plays a very important role in the rate of aging. Actually, the best technology we currently have to live longer is nutrition. So I'm also, by the way, a partner of an investment fund. It's a $100 million fund that invests into new technologies to address aging, like gene editing and transcriptomic therapies and so on. That's all super fascinating, but I always had a big interest in nutrition because It's the best thing we currently have to live longer. Uh, And and we we will see all kinds of novel treatments coming in the next decades to slow down and even reverse aging. But even then, nutrition will be still very important to slow down the rate of aging and postpone the need for those treatments that uh, probably won't be perfect. Uh, So uh, you will still have some aging. And one way to slow it down is through nutrition. So definitely what you eat, when you eat, how you eat determines the rate of aging. And there are all kinds of foods that have shown to slow down aging and vice versa. The Western diet is very good at accelerating aging. A lot of, let's say, unhealthy fats, a lot of fast carbs that create cross-linking and activate nutrient-sensing pathways. A lot of uh, animal protein uh, that can, if you consume too much, uh, also accelerates aging. And generally a diet that's very deficient in micronutrients. So some scientists say, that people in the West are malnourished but overfed. So they are malnourished because their diet just lacks so many micronutrients like omega-3 and magnesium and vitamin D and iodine and iron and calcium and so on. And um, yeah, it, they are overfed because it consists mainly of empty calories in the shape of uh, yeah, fast carbs and starches and um, yeah, unhealthy fats and uh, yeah, let's say high animal protein, dense foods and so on. So there's definitely a lot of room for improvement there. Yeah,
2: Super fascinating. And I'd love to ask you about specifically some of the polyphenols and the flavonoids that are present in some of these plant-based foods like resveratrol, physetin, terastilbean. These are phenomenal compounds. Maybe do yeah, maybe you want to expand upon what do we know about these polyphenols?
1: Yeah, so the polyphenols are a very interesting group of longevity ingredients. So classical polyphenols are flavonoids. You can find them in vegetables and all kinds of fruit, especially brightly colored fruit like blueberries or red colored fruit like strawberries and raspberries, but also in dark chocolate and so on. So these flavonoids are very interesting. They have shown to slow down aging and reduce the risk of Alzheimer's disease, heart disease, stroke cancer, and so on. So flavonoids are one of the many reasons why vegetables or bright-colored fruits and dark chocolate are healthy. Yeah, But besides flavonoids, um, there are many other, let's say, phytochemicals in plants and so on that can have all kinds of interesting effects. So in general, it's even actually difficult to pinpoint but the specific, which substances are like responsible for the healthy food. So that's why I always recommend just eat the whole food. And if you really want to take a supplement, take some extracts like blueberry extract or pomegranate extract and so on. And there are yeah many other interesting substances besides flavonoids. So like still beans, for example, I like resveratrol and so on. You have specific substances, uh, urolitins and allergic acid in pomegranate, that have shown to have neuroprotective effects and protect the skin and the eye and so on. So yeah, there are hundreds of different phytochemicals that have um, very strong effects regarding slowing down aging and uh, reducing the risk of aging-related diseases. And they're often found in foods you can find very easily in the supermarket. So some people say, yeah, you have to eat these exotic, uh, healthy foods like berries and so on. But blueberries, olive oil, fatty fish, Kale, broccoli, Brussels sprouts, let's say, things you can just find in any ordinary supermarket. They are full of very interesting longevity ingredients.
2: Yeah, phenomenal, phenomenal. As far as like the protein theory in terms of like, there was a big well-known theory of the methionine restriction diet, you know, affecting aging. But I'd love to look at some of the anti-aging amino acids like glycine, maybe taurine. Do you want to sort of expand upon those?
1: Yeah, my pleasure. So, indeed, like you said, there are a lot of studies showing if you restrict one specific amino acid, methionine, you extend lifespan and so on. So that does definitely uh, one, let's say, argument pointing to the role of a specific amino acids in aging. And um, it's a very interesting field. And definitely some amino acids like glycine can actually have uh, protective effects. So we see there are a lot of studies showing that glycine can slow down aging and uh, extend lifespan in rats and mice and other uh, organisms. Um, So glycine, it has many different functions on aging or acts on different aging pathways. For example, it's a chaperone. So it means it can stick to proteins. Uh, in a gentle way, protecting the proteins against accumulation or damage. And one of the reasons why we age is protein accumulation. And we also see it in a lot of aging-related diseases happening, this accumulation of proteins like in Alzheimer's disease or even in aging-related heart failure or stiffening of the blood vessels. We see a lot of accumulation of proteins there. So glycine is a chaperone. It can slow down this protein accumulation through that mechanism, but it can also slow down protein accumulation through other mechanisms And also it acts on many other aging hallmarks. For example, glycine is also an epigenetic modulator, especially the epigenome in the mitochondria. So the mitochondria, these are the power plants of our cells. They have their own DNA because they are very likely derived from bacteria that a few billion years ago start to work together, and one large bacteria ate a smaller one, and the smaller one was not digested, but became a mitochondrion that produced energy for the, the large bacteria. And then, and then we, our cells are the descendants of that big bacterial cell that engulfed some smaller bacteria, aka mitochondria. So to make a long story short, mitochondria have their own DNA. The glycine can also help to protect the mitochondrial DNA. Glycine also can, yeah, slow down cross-linking. The studies showing glycine is also protective for stem cells. So stem cell exhaustion and clonal expansion of stem cells is also one of the reasons. YVH. So glycine is definitely a very interesting substance. also very safe. There have been some studies in humans where they give up 20 or 40 grams of glycine per day without uh, real adverse effects. So that's one of the reasons why we added glycine to our longevity cocktail because it's such an interesting specific molecule.
2: And I guess um, one other benefit of glycine would be the sleep enhancement for some people. And I'm sure you've probably... Like have you dived into like the influence of sleep on biological aging at all?
1: Yes, definitely. Sleep is very important for healthy aging, especially regularity. So always going to bed at the same time is very important and of course duration, so ideally 7 to 9 hours. So regularity and duration very important. If you don't sleep well or you go to bed at strange hours or in an irregular way, you accelerate aging. You um, yeah, mess up your metabolism. So we see in the studies that if people go to bed at weird hours, that they have more risk of obesity, of type 2 diabetes, of cancer, Alzheimer's disease even. So sleep, yeah, during sleep, you generate all kinds of substances like melatonin that also have shown to have live extension effects and all kinds of reparative processes kick into action, even the glymphatic system, huh, which is an intricate network of vessels in the brain that actually flushes out the protein accumulation during the day. So when we are awake and conscious, our brain cells work a lot. And you have also a protein accumulation. And then at the end of the day, when you're In your bed, you flush out the protein mess during sleep. So uh, anyway, many restorative pathways activated during sleep. And uh, yeah, glycine is one of the interesting substances that can help with sleep. So there are studies showing that if people take glycine before they go to bed, they uh, fall asleep faster and their sleep is better. But uh, actually on our website, on novoslabs.com, I've written an extensive article with 50 tips to sleep better. We also mention all kinds of substances we think are very interesting because they promote sleep but also because they can have longevity effects and one of them is glycine another one i already alluded to that's melatonin should be ideally not too high doses because the melatonin you can buy in supermarkets it's way too high it's like five milligrams sometimes even 10 milligrams which is not good you create a too high melatonin peak and that's not let's say representative of how the metabolism works in a natural normal way So what I always advise is to take maximum one milligram, thousand micrograms of melatonin and extended release. Because if you take the normal one, the peak is also too fast and, and too high. But melatonin has also shown to extend lifespan. It's a very interesting molecule with epigenetic effects and also has some antioxidant effects, but in a very specific way, because a lot of antioxidants actually don't really slow down aging. Some of them even accelerate aging, but melatonin is a bit of an exception because its structure allows it to capture free radicals in a very interesting, or neutralize them in a very interesting way. But there are other interesting substances that can promote sleep, even like omega-3 fatty acids. So Mm -hmm. not a lot of people know this, but if you're deficient in omega-3, often you have sleep problems too. Magnesium also improves sleep and also has longevity effects. It stabilizes DNA, it improves metabolism. So yeah, what I do when I go to bed, often is I put on some chamomile tea. There are also studies showing that chamomile tea extends lifespan because of the deterpenes and other interesting substances in it. And then uh, when it's almost cold or lukewarm, I add some glycine to it some calcium, some magnesium, ideally magnesium malate and not magnesium oxide or other forms of magnesium because malate also extends lifespan. And yeah, so these minerals, magnesium and um, calcium and uh, perhaps a little bit of uh, phosphorylcholine and so on. And uh, it's a great way to fall asleep.
2: That's awesome. It sounds like a a very powerful anti-aging sleep cocktail you got there. And the glycine I'm sure has like a, you know, has a sweet taste. So it's almost like a you know, herbal yes, tea um something i'd love to touch on with you is like the nad nmn nr maybe just explain to my listeners like nad what is it why is it so critical for mitochondrial function energy and yeah sort of break that down
1: Yeah, I'm going to keep it short because I guess a lot of your listeners already know about NAD. So NAD is like a very important fuel for our cells. It's required for electron mediated redox and reactions. So it carries electrons around and these electrons are the fuel for our cells. So it mediates a lot of reactions in the cell, NAD. You need it also for DNA repair and for maintenance of the epigenome. So the more NAD the better. Of course, not too much. But anyway, it's a complicated discussion. But NAD very important. And the older we get, the less NAD levels are in the cells. So when you're around, your 60 or even older, you have like 50% less NAD in the cells. And uh, less NAD, not good because the cells needed to maintain their DNA and their epigenome and to maintain many other reactions. So there are several reasons why NAD levels decline during aging, but then we found in a lot of studies that you increase NAD levels through NAD boosters you can mitigate all kinds of aging-related symptoms uh, in animals, but also now recently in humans. Uh, we have seen a few clinical trials very recently in humans where elderly men, when given NAD boosters like NMN, they improve muscle function, and a woman with a pre-diabetes also taking NMN, which is an NAD booster, um, yeah, has also shown to improve metabolism in, in, the, in those women. So, um, uh, but there's a whole discussion about NMN versus NR. We can go into it uh, if you like. I don't know whether that's a question you have or...
2: I would love to because, again, I get asked this a lot. A lot of people asking questions about it. And even um, the fairly new... There's a new one. Uh, have you seen uh, MIB 626, I think? It is. Yes, yes. Yeah, so do you want to break that down?
1: Yeah, so... A lot of questions ask me the question like NMN or NR. So actually when we first looked into this a long time ago, we were very agnostic. Eh? So we, uh, we didn't care about the best. We just would pick the most interesting ingredient and our choice fell on NMN. There are many reasons why we believe NMN is better than NR, despite NR being touted a lot on the internet. And I will come back to that why that's the case. But NMN seems to be better than NR specifically because it has a phosphate group and the phosphate group that NMN has and NR doesn't can play an important role. We also see this in uh, NMN analogs or NAD boosters being patented. Phosphate moiety is very important. So NMN very likely is better than NR for multiple reasons. First of all, uh, NR needs to be converted into NMN and then NMN can function as an NAD booster. So NMN is more, uh, let's say, uh, down the line of the production process of, uh, of creating NAD. NMN seems also to be more stable in the blood. Uh, We also see that if you give NMN orally, you don't have to take it sublingually, by the way, like some websites say. So a lot of experiments done in mice, in horses, if you give NMN orally, yeah, they become healthier. So insulin sensitivity is improved, their eyesight improves, uh, muscle function improves, endurance and so on. So even if you give it to horses, but also to mice, uh, fertility in old female mice improves quite a lot, which is quite impressive. So you can have old horses and giving them NMN and, and they, can, they have ovulation again and, and they become much more fertile again. Actually, there are even case reports in humans where a woman having gone through menopause, when they started taking NMN, they started to have their periods again. So that's very interesting. So NMN, yeah, there are many reasons why we think it's better. And actually... Also, if you look at uh, experts like David Sinclair, he's perhaps one of the world experts in NAD-boosting approaches and NAD metabolism. He takes MMM, not NR. Uh, He takes it orally, by the way, so not sublingually. So he just uh, just, uh, takes it every morning with his yogurt. So that's also a reason why, given he's like an expert that perhaps yeah, can make people think like, hmm, yeah, perhaps NMN is better. But I've also written a whole, let's say, article on NMN versus NR. Other the reasons why to help convince people is, is for example, NASA and uh, also U.S. military are experimenting with NMN compounds to improve endurance and cognition in their soldiers. They are doing that with NMN analogs or NMN itself not with NR. Uh, But still, you will hear a lot of NR being touted online. Why? There are many reasons for this. Firstly, um, the production process of NR is patented. NMN is not. uh, So everyone can bring NMN to the market. So that's the reason why some companies are touting NR a lot, because they have bought uh, the rights on the production process or own them. So that's one reason why NR is still touted or advocated. Um, Another reason is that Nr is easier to make than NMN. So the first studies um, were done with Nr because NMN was super expensive to manufacture. And actually, recently, only quite recently, the price has gone down considerably. But that also explains why a lot of the first studies were done with Nr and not with NMN. And that's why we see more studies with Nr and uh, more, let's say, hype around that substance than NMN. But actually, if you look also at the whole of studies, we see that NMN can, yeah, has overall better results than NR, like for insulin resistance and so on. We see that NMN uh, can improve insulin sensitivity in humans, uh, while we don't see that in clinical trials in humans with NR. Um, Another reason why we think NMN is better. So, yeah, the fact that the NR production process is patented and it's easier and, and cheaper to manufacture is one of the reasons why still targeted. And of course, the reason why it still can't be advocated online is because some uh, NR companies say our substance, NR, increases NAD levels. And that's actually true. But you can increase NAD levels also through uh, taking vitamin B3 or, or niacin or nicotinamide, uh, which is uh, much cheaper than NR. So, it's not just uh, upregulating NAD levels uh, in that straightforward way. There comes, there's much more that comes to it. For example, some studies show that nicotinamide, ribozyte, so NR, it can uh, actually indeed upregulate NAD, which is a good thing, but can perhaps inhibit certain metabolisms. Because actually, the certuins, they convert the NAD into different molecules. One of them, let's say, a nicotinamide. And actually, if you take Nr, you increase uh, nicotinamide levels a lot uh, in the cells, and that could actually inhibit the serpents. So many reasons why we think NMR is better than uh, Nr.
2: Amazing. You summed that up really well, and that made a lot of sense. And so many things were coming, like flying through my head, trying to wrap my head around some of the other concepts. I'm so glad you brought up the vitamin B3, because that's yet another... I mean, it's a B vitamin. It's so simple, super, super cheap. But you're saying it's also acting as a NAD booster as well right like that
1: yes that's correct we have different forms of vitamin b3 niacin and then nicotinamide actually niacin has been used for decades to improve fatty fats in the blood eh? so it improves cholesterol and triglyceride levels and so on but actually we've seen studies that despite that niacin improves the metabolism, the triglycerides or the fats, uh, specific fats in the blood, mainly being cholesterol, we don't see outcomes that it actually reduces heart disease or your risk of getting a heart attack. So despite that, niacin improves cholesterol levels. Mm -hmm. If you look at uh, the Cochrane and uh, let's say all the meta-analysis thrown together, niacin doesn't really reduce your risk significantly of heart disease. And some studies actually show that High levels of niacin can increase the risk of type 2 diabetes and so on. So some people take niacin to increase NAD levels as a cheap way to do so, but I would exercise caution taking high levels of niacin for these and other reasons. Also, because it's very far away from, let's say, NAD. If you look at the NAD pathway, you have the Price Handler pathway and the Salvage pathway and the Nonovo pathway, but niacin is like very up there, very far from really creating NAD. And I manage just one step before NAD creation. So anyway, that's all reason why I don't take niacin myself. Um, and then you have also another form of vitamin B3. It's uh, just nicotinamide, which also increases NAD levels, just like niacin does. But we have seen in studies that uh, niacinamide doesn't really extend lifespan in normal, healthy mice. And the same for nicotinamide riboside. If you give it to normal, healthy mice, then it doesn't really extend lifespan, according to recent studies. So perhaps it improves healthspan, which is also great. But uh, yeah, um, it's a bit uh, disappointing, niacin, nicotinamide and uh, and NR, to be honest. So, yeah.
2: Yeah, makes sense. Makes sense. What about as far as, um, I know I flagged another compound. It was alpha-ketoglutarate. Do you want to sort of explain to my listeners what is this and did it sort of get neglected a little bit? It was popular for, for a period of time and then just sort of got neglected. Do you want to expand upon that?
1: Yes, alpha ketoglutarate is a very interesting molecule for longevity. There is a lot of research done with it showing that it can extend lifespan in multiple different kinds of organisms. In C. elegans, in Drosophila, which are fruit flies, it extends lifespan, but also in mice. And it also has been used for decades by athletes uh, to improve their metabolism and allegedly to improve their uh, stamina and endurance. So AKG, it's a naturally occurring substance in our bodies. So it's a fuel for our mitochondria. It's actually a part of the Krebs cycle. serves as a Krebs cycle substrate. Krebs cycle is the cycle that creates energy in our mitochondria. So very important to stay alive and to have this conversation. So AKG is something that occurs naturally in our body. But unfortunately, when we get older, levels of alpha category rate decline. And we have seen if you give it to mice, they live longer. And actually, they also are much healthier. So the health effects are even more pronounced than the longevity or life extension effects. So, for example, if you give old mice AKG or alpha ketoglutarate, it uh, reduces hair grain. It reduces balding, especially in female mice. It improves the skin of the mice. It improves yeah, uh, endurance, cognition, uh, metabolism in mice, and, and also extends lifespan somewhat. So AKG, definitely very interesting. It has many different effects. So it acts on many different hallmarks or mechanisms of aging. For example, it helps cells to maintain a proper epigenome. As we discussed earlier, dysregulation of the epigenome is one of the reasons why we age. Remember the queen bees and, and canker genes switched on during aging, that's all due to the epigenome. So AKG or alpha ketoglutarate is a substrate for epigenetic reprogramming enzymes uh, like uh, that enzymes, 10-11 uh, translocase enzymes, which uh, play a role in methylation. So these enzymes need AKG and vitamin C, by the way, to properly function and to maintain the epigenome. That's also one of the reasons why we added vitamin C to our uh, novel formulation because it works synergistically with alpha ketoglutarate regarding epigenetic maintenance and health. AKG also has other effects. It improves mitochondrial uh, function, which is logical because it's a substrate or, or fuel for the mitochondria. It improves also, let's say, collagen production. So it could also be beneficial for the skin. Also, there are studies showing it can help stem cells to maintain themselves better, which is very important because the older we get, our stem cells become dysfunctional or die off. So it's a very interesting substance, definitely.
2: Phenomenal, phenomenal. As far as like a lot of these amazing compounds you mentioned, you know, improving mitochondrial function, you know, improving, you know, general like body-wide inflammation, things like that. What about the autophagy pathway? Because again, that's an area that's like discussed quite a lot. I'd imagine many of these compounds you've spoken about also activate Autophagy. Do you want to sort of explain the link between autophagy and aging?
1: Yes, definitely. So autophagy is the process by which cells can digest or break down waste materials, like proteins that accumulate. They are broken down into individual amino acids through autophagy, but also large cell compartments like mitochondria are broken down through autophagy, called mitoautophagy. You have different forms of autophagy, microautophagy, which is good to break down large cell compartments or organelles like mitochondria. You have then a micro-autophagy and you have chaperone-mediated autophagy, which actually can tax specific uh, proteins or materials for breakdown. So autophagy is very important for longevity because you can compare it to the waste incinerators of the cell. eh? So our cells produce a lot of garbage every day. You need to get rid of the garbage and they put it into the waste incinerators like the lysosomes, and that's through process like through autophagy and also through other very related processes like ubiquitin proteasome complex which is mainly specialized in breaking down protein. And then uh, you have macroautophagy that breaks down more of the larger stuff. And so, so, anyway, super important for longevity because the more autophagy, the more you break down waste that otherwise would accumulate and contribute to aging. Uh, like Alzheimer's disease, you have accumulation of proteins inside the brain cells and outside the brain cells. And that is one of the, probably one of the driving factors behind Alzheimer's disease. So breaking down this protein accumulation and other waste materials is very important. And we've seen a lot of studies, if you upregulate autophagy, you extend lifespan and improve health span. There are all kinds of substances found in nature and in food that can induce or upregulate autophagy. For example, phycetin is a substance found in strawberries, it's also often called a senolytic, which is actually also very good anti-inflammatory by the name. But physetin also yeah, can upregulate autophagy through inhibition of mTOR uh, because mTOR, if you activate it, you downregulate autophagy. So if you eat a lot of protein and then you have a lot of amino acids in the bloodstream, amino acids activate mTOR down-regulate autophagy, and so you have more cellular waste material accumulating inside and outside of cells. So, phycetyl is an mTOR inhibitor and can uh, that way induce autophagy. Pterosylbine also could uh, induce autophagy. Um, AKG, alpha-ketoglutarate, we just discussed, can, according to some studies, also induce autophagy. Microdose lithium, so uh, we've seen a lot of studies that actually low doses of lithium can extend lifespan. Actually, in cities or areas where there is a lot of lithium in the drinking water, we have seen association studies showing that uh, people tend to live longer and have less neurodegenerative diseases or less suicide, by the way, because even low-dose lithium can serve as a mood stabilizer somewhat. But uh, also it uses autophagy. But actually, besides induction of autophagy, you also need other... Let's say mechanisms to slow down this accumulation of proteins and other mass. Um, like chaperones, we discussed like glycine earlier. It's a chaperone because it, it protects new proteins against accumulation. And you have also microdose lithium, for example, can also upregulate autophagy, like we said, but yeah, can also activate all kinds of genes through epigenetic mechanisms that can improve proteostasis as well as the homeostasis of the proteins and preventing them from accumulating too much. And then you have also substances that can also reduce the protein accumulation through activating a specific response. called the unfolded protein response, like acetylglucosamine, which is a component of hyaluronic acid, by the way. If you upregulate through, for example, acetylglucosamine, the unfolded protein response, you also induce autophagy and you help the cells to better maintain proteostasis or let's say the, the protein metabolism.
2: It's amazing. I'm digesting this information so well. I'm just loving it. My head's like exploding yeah. with ideas. It's literally
1: and so yeah, figuratively because it's all about digestion of proteins, yeah. autophagy. So yeah, literally,
2: definitely. So- literally a good pun. Um, as far as a lot of these compounds, so like fisetin, alpha-ketoglutarate, glycine, you know, I'm sure a lot of these also influence the microbiome. And again, a lot of my listeners would love to learn about like, you know, what's the implications? What do we know? I know this is an area that's becoming more and more like in, like, interesting. Do you want to sort of explore maybe what do we know about the microbiome and aging?
1: Super interesting question. So like 10 years ago, if you started to talk about the microbiome impacting metabolism, health, aging, and even yeah, emotion, people uh, often laughed at you. It was all like also alternative. And if you talked about leaky gut, some scientists or MDs laughed at you. But luckily, because there's so much overwhelming evidence, truth finds its way. So anyway, yeah, definitely the gut microbiome is very important for health and longevity. Actually, we see during aging that uh, there are a lot of changes happening in the gut microbiome. So for example, it becomes less diversified. So the older you get... The more selection you have of uh, toxic or unhealthy bacteria that start to outcompete the other bacteria during decades and also because of our unhealthy food pattern that also often causes overgrowth of specific toxic bacteria. So we see when you get older, there is a decline in the diversity of our microbiome, which is not good. Then we also see when we get older that the stem cells in the gut are declined, which leads to a gut wall that's less firm and that's being less replenished, which contributes to leaky gut. Also, if you have bacterial overgrowth and selection through evolution during the decades of your life, towards more toxic bacteria, you also induce more leaky gut or the scientific term is called uh, increased gastrointestinal permeability. But we can just say leaky gut. And yeah, leaky gut definitely accelerates aging. uh, So because toxins from the gut leak into the bloodstream and these toxins cause inflammation, they cause metabolic dysregulation and so on. Uh, So they can even reach the brain and impact how you feel. And actually some people say that, oh, I just pop a probiotic and everything will be okay. Well, I can talk for hours about probiotics and aging, but I won't do it. But to make a long story short, so most probiotics are just a handful of bacteria that are not that prevalent in our gut, uh, like lactobacillus. It's a very rare bacteria in our gut. You have bifidobacteria, they are more common in our gut, but you have hundreds of different species in our gut. So most probiotics only contain two or a few species of lactobacillus or Bifidos, but you have hundreds of other species that are not in your probiotic. And actually, yeah, we do see that if you give probiotics to people, you can improve some biomarkers and so on. That's great, but everyone is different. So my like probiotic can work very well for you, but actually yeah, it makes me more tired and so on and even grumpy, because like I said, your gut microbiome also impacts your brain 70% of serotonin in your body is made in the gut so what you eat and how that impacts your gut microbiome and also medication and stress all impacts gut microbiome and that also impacts how we think and how we feel even i've done studies where women are given for example yogurt with probiotics and then a few weeks later they take a brain scan and you see that the brain regions involved in emotional processing are different and and also for aging related diseases so if you take mice and you take the uh, sterile mice uh, so they don't have any bacteria in their guts. but then you take the bacteria of mice that uh, have alzheimer's disease and you transplant it into normal healthy sterile mice they also start to get this accumulation of proteins that plays a role in alzheimer's disease and also for parkinson's disease we see probably the Good microbiome could be one of the many potential factors contributing to Parkinson's disease because there are bacteria in our gut that will, let's say, process specific substances in our foods into toxic substances that can damage the brain and specific the dopaminergic uh, regions in the brain that are responsible for movement and that play a role in uh, Parkinson's disease. And uh, actually, we see in studies that if you cut the vagal nerve, which goes from the brain to the gut, then uh, there is much less uh, Parkinson's disease, uh, and some uh, scientists even speculate that the protein accumulation, like uh, alpha-synuclein, is a protein that accumulates in the brain cells in Parkinson's disease, and um, and these these alpha-synuclein. This protein accumulation messes up and kills the brain cells that are responsible for movement. And that's why you get, or it's one of the reasons why you get Parkinson's disease. Actually, we see that alpha synuclein also starts to accumulate in the gut. And some scientists speculate that perhaps it starts in the gut. And the alpha synuclein accumulation starts to spread through the vagal nerve from the gut to the brain. It could play a role. And that's why if you cut a vagal nerve in mice they seem to have much less Parkinson's disease. So these are just a few of the many examples showing the very important impact of the gut microbiome in aging. And even perhaps very quickly, some studies also show that if you mitigate or if you give old fruit flies an antibiotic that kills their gut microbiome, they live up to 40, 50% longer. I'm not going to say to take antibiotics because for humans, it's more complicated and actually it makes the gut microbiome less diverse. But it shows that in these old fruit flies, these bacteria in the gut really make them age much faster. And we also see it in killifish, for example. If you uh, take uh, killifish, old killifish, and you give them the gut microbiome of young killifish, these old killifish seem uh, to live about 40% longer. So there are many studies like that definitely showing the impact of the gut microbiome. So that's why I think it's very important. And there are all kinds of ways to improve uh, your gut health. But popping a probiotic is just tiny, tiny part of it.
2: Yeah, look, I'm going to I'm gonna have to get you back on the podcast again just to focus on the microbiome because that was phenomenal. And, and what you said there about the um, antibiotic, just out of curiosity, was that azithromycin?
1: Uh, well, could be, could be. I don't recall because I read a study many years ago on the fruit flies and so on, but often it's indeed azithromycin, which is an antibiotic that stays in the gut, or at least often what scientists like to do is to give an antibiotic that stays in the gut so they know it's not spread systemically. So the effects then are only relate to killing the gut microbiome, and it's not because of systemic effects.
2: Yeah, interesting. So, Chris, maybe you want to let my listeners know a little bit about this formulation. I believe you helped to like formulate or advisory in terms of the Novus, the Fisetin combination, Glycine, Alpha Ketoglutarate. Do you want to talk about that a little bit?
1: Yeah. So, about how we came to the formulation, I guess is your question. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So, great. Well, let me start first why we created Novus. Very quickly, uh, we were a bit frustrated that there were so little science based nutraceuticals or supplements out there for anti aging. So a lot of these supplements use outdated, let's say, insights to formulate. Uh, so antioxidants, for example, have shown not really to extend lifespan. Some antioxidants can even shorten lifespan. And a lot of these anti-aging substances or, or supplements contain yeah, ingredients that have very little or no science behind them. So when we created Novels, we did that out of frustration. There were so little science-based supplements out there. And we looked at, uh, at the whole body of science. And together with our scientific advisory board, who are some of the top leading scientists in the longevity field, we looked at the most promising and the most science-based ingredients to slow down aging. So we had a few criteria. So ideally these ingredients, They firstly act on aging hallmarks, so they improve the epigenome, they improve mitochondrial health, they slow down protein accumulation, they reduce DNA damage, they improve nutrient sensing pathways, and so on. So they have to work in a significant way on these hallmarks or mechanisms of aging. Secondly, ideally, they extend lifespan in multiple different species. And ideally, also, they have shown to be associated with health effects in humans, Like uh, glucosamine. Glucosamine is one of the very few substances that, if you look at the studies, have a correlation with reduced mortality in humans. So in studies done in the US and in Europe, they looked at many different supplements and to see whether people, if they took them, they lived longer. And actually, as expected, most supplements didn't really extend lifespan or were not associated with longer lifespans or reduced mortality, but only a few were. And a glucosamine was one of the very few that was associated with longer lifespans. And of course, as an association that's not a really necessary causation. But if you give glucosamine to animals, they live longer. So you extend lifespan. And also glucosamine acts on aging mechanisms. It reduces inflammation. It induces mitochondrial biogenesis. So you create more mitochondria. And uh, yeah, it has many other interesting effects. Um, So that's why, for example, we included also glucosamine because these studies showing also effects in humans. And humans have been taking glucosamine for decades. Uh, It's mainly used to improve joint health. But very little people and MDs know it can also extend lifespan in multiple species. So that's also a reason, or let's say a requirement for our ingredients and how we formulate it. It's another example is lithium. So we see microdose lithium. If There are human trials where they give microdose lithium and it slows down the rate of Alzheimer's disease in humans. Also in animals, it slows down neurodegenerative diseases. We also see in humans that in areas, as I mentioned before, there's more lithium in the drinking water. The, there are longer lifespans, there's less mortality, and so on. And um, if you give uh, microdose lithium to animals, they also live longer. So these are the many, let's say, requirements or things we based ourselves on to formulate uh, novels.
2: Amazing, amazing. I'm glad you mentioned the glucosamine because I just, I literally just did a video on that particular study because it's a fairly Fairly new study that came out about glucosamine affecting, um, yeah, longevity. So, uh, for those listening in, make sure to check out my upcoming YouTube video talking about glucosamine. But otherwise, Chris, I mean, today was a phenomenal, phenomenal podcast. I mean, I know my listeners are going to be like learning a lot from this. I want to give them a chance to also, if they want to check out the formulation, the supplement that will be linked in the show notes for those listening in, if they want to you know look into purchasing that i'll get that linked in the show notes but chris otherwise it was a pleasure having you on the show it was a great podcast
1: thank you my pleasure and thank you for the great questions so uh it's uh very clear you your longevity let's say very knowledgeable about it and a biohacker so we uh, ask, uh i think we, we have a lot in common there so uh great thanks for the wonderful questions
2: awesome awesome i'll have to get you back on the show because uh I was just thinking of it, thinking of an idea about designing like an anti aging calendar that includes like, you know, like um, in the morning drink this sort of herb and then take this supplement, you know, earthing, grounding, all the other biohacks. But um, yeah, otherwise, yeah, we'll chat soon. Thanks again for coming on the show. Thank you everyone for joining in to today's episode. For in depth show notes and lessons learned, visit nofilter.media forward slash. Boost your biology.
0: This has been a No Filter Media production. Say what you want.
2: Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter.